0: is autumn Dixon, and this week is april 24th through the 30th and i want to be talking about one of the most well-known stories from the new testament and that is the woman who was taken in adultery now there is so much to be gleaned from this story and i think we can learn even more when we understand more about the law of moses and how that plays into Christ's choices in this particular situation. So, a woman taken in adultery. There was some elite Jews, who, or at least some Jews who were enemies of Christ. They caught a woman in the very act of adultery. And they brought her before Christ. And this is what they ask Christ. So, this is John chapter 8, verse 5. They say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Now, this is fairly straightforward, right? Christ had been asked a lot of questions before about the gospel and the law of Moses. I mean, from the time he was 12, at least, people were asking about the scriptures. But there's a lot more here. This is actually a diabolical setup from these Jews who are trying to destroy the legitimacy of Christ. Now what the what the Jews were going for with Christ, they were trying to set him up. So at this point in time, it seemed like Christ only had really two options to go with in response to their question. He could either deny the law of Moses, right? And say, we probably shouldn't stone her. It's not a good idea. And he would be accused of perverting the law of Moses and changing it and that would be a problem, right? If he's really the son of God or a prophet, he probably wouldn't be perverting the law of Moses. Now, his second option was that he could call for the stoning and he could say, yes, we need to fulfill the law of Moses, right? And were he to do that, it causes a couple of problems. One is that this practice of stoning adulterous people, had kind of fallen to the wayside. It wasn't really being practiced anymore. It was wildly unpopular for lots of reasons. but It wasn't really happening anymore. The second problem with this is that because the Jews were under the rule of Rome, they weren't actually allowed to practice capital punishment without approval from Rome. And so it kind of seems like no matter what Christ chooses to do, he loses, Right. Now, Christ pauses for a little bit. He's riding the dirt. We may never know what he was riding the dirt. My personal opinion is that he was being silent for a while because silence makes people really uncomfortable. And it works pretty good. Now, this is his response. John chapter 8, and it is verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, A lot of people use this story and this response to teach that Christ supersedes the law of Moses, that he is above the law of Moses, that he can break the law of Moses because he is Christ. Right. He gave the law of Moses so he can break it. Right. That he can choose to do whatever he wants because his innate role is Christ. But when we study the Law of Moses, when we know more about the Law of Moses, we can realize that this is not necessarily the case. There was another part of the Law of Moses that was also applicable to this woman taken in adultery, and it was the Law of Witnesses. So when someone was going to get stoned for something, there had to be at least two witnesses and they would be cross-examined to make sure the stories lined up and to make sure that this crime had actually be, had been committed before they actually stoned somebody, Right. There had to be two witnesses. Now, if the two witnesses were found lacking, if they had been lying about the situation, they would receive the punishment that they had intended for the accused, right? So Christ was inviting them to be these witnesses, right? He was placing this uncomfortable decision that they had placed on him and he was throwing it right back on their shoulders, Now, we know that they all kind of slither out and they kind of leave the room, right? These were a very pious people. (laughs) Christ is like, okay, well, if you're imperfect, throw a stone at her, right? I can't imagine that their conscience was pricked because these people were very proud of how righteous they were. I can't imagine that they would be offended by the fact that Christ suggested that they're imperfect. But something about his statement caused them to be like, hmm. I don't know about this, and they slithered out, right? And I believe it's because Christ suddenly threw these decisions onto the Jews. Now, the Jews had a couple of options, right? They could back off, which they chose to do, or they could choose to be these witnesses, fulfill the law of Moses, and they could essentially receive the consequences that they had intended for Christ, right? So they wanted Christ to potentially be like, yes, we need to fulfill the law of Moses. And they wanted all the people to get really angry at him. Well, if they were going to stand up to be these witnesses in this trial where they were going to stone this woman, they were not going to make people very happy, right? The other problem with being cross-examined is that there was something very fishy about the fact that there was no man, right? They had caught the woman in the very act of adultery, but they had not caught the man who was part of this act of adultery. Had they established their story ahead of time? Had they established why the man wasn't there? (laughs) Had they gone through all these details to make sure that when they were cross-examined, they knew what their story was going to be, they were going to be sufficient witnesses, right? Or were they going to find themselves in hot water for being insufficient witnesses and therefore technically, supposedly, They were the ones that were going to be stoned because they were falsely accusing this woman, right? They didn't really like this idea. They wanted to delegitimize Christ, but not so badly that they were willing to die for it or at least risk their own popularity and clout, right? And so they chose to back off and just kind of slither out. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to understand that Christ did not actually break the law of Moses. Now, as I mentioned previously, there are many people who believe that Christ did break the law of Moses. When he did not call for the full law to be fulfilled, they believe that he broke the law of Moses and that this is a sign that he can break whatever law he wants because he's Christ. He gets to do whatever he wants because he is Christ without consequences. This is a really fascinating concept. <laughs> what do we believe about this is the role of Christ, some innate power that Christ has, that he just he is powerful, he is God, or is it something that he chooses moment to moment that he has He has to choose to play that role. What do we really believe about why Christ is Christ? Now, there's a verse in the Book of Mormon that I want to read, and it's just the end, but I want to read it because it's important. It says, it's Alma chapter 42. It's verse 13. This is just the end. It says, now the work of justice could not be destroyed. So we can't flout the law of Moses. We can't break the law of Moses, do whatever we want. The work of justice could not be destroyed. If so, God would cease to be God. Many people believe that Christ can do whatever he wants because he's Christ. We believe that Christ is Christ because of all of the choices he makes moment by moment by moment by moment. We believe that he would cease to be Christ if he broke the law of Moses. Right? He didn't, because they didn't have the sufficient witnesses for the woman to be stoned. He did not break the law of Moses in allowing this woman to not be stoned. If Christ had chosen to break the law of Moses, he would have no longer been perfect. He would have no longer been completely consistent, right? He would have been changeable. He would no longer be who he says he was, right? He's promised us that he's consistent. Would the waves and wind still obey him? I would argue no, right? Because he works by priesthood power, which requires worthiness, right? Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ enjoy eternal life or godlike life, right? Eternal life has lots of different, a couple of different meanings. It can mean immortality, but it can also mean a godlike life, right? They enjoy eternal life. Because they choose moment by moment by moment by moment by moment to be perfect. Their thoughts, their feelings, what they choose to do are perfect. We can think of our existence as this big universe game with rules. Okay? That are just, this is just how things are. And there's no chance involved to this game. It's all about, it's completely about what you choose. Okay? Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are masters at this game. They know the rules perfectly and they have mastered these rules perfectly. And so they win every single time. In this universe game, wickedness never was happiness, ever. For short moments of time, you may still enjoy happiness, especially because we have the beautiful atonement that can cleanse us and help us along as we're struggling to to learn these rules. But ultimately, wickedness never was happiness. It either threatens your own peace within yourself, or it threatens the happiness of others. This is a simple fact, and not even Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ can circumvent it, right? Should they choose to do so, to try to do so, they would lose their own eternal lives, and we would definitely all lose our eternal lives. Christ did not break the law of Moses. He is not changeable. He's not some dictator that just has this innate role and he gets to do whatever he wants with all this power that he just innately has, right? He chooses perfection in everything that he is and everything that he does. And because of that, he enjoys eternal life. Now, this can be intimidating for those of us who make mistakes, right? To think that we are not so perfect at these universe game rules, and so we're not going to enjoy eternal life, right? But I don't believe that it actually has to be intimidating, and that's because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, it is my personal belief, <laughs> take that for what you will, <laughs> but it is my personal belief that the only people who are really not going to make it to the celestial kingdom are the people who willfully refuse the celestial kingdom. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Now, Christ is a little bit different than what our situation is. Christ has a different situation. He had to be perfect, right? Because he needed to perform the atonement so that the atonement could cleanse us so that we could go to the celestial kingdom because we're all imperfect. But he still has to make some judgment calls, right? The atonement can cleanse us. Why doesn't he just cleanse everybody, right? And it's because some people will willfully choose to destroy the happiness that exists in the celestial kingdom that's why there has to be a judgment doesn't matter how much christ cleanses them if they are willfully choosing to destroy the happiness and peace that exists in the celestial kingdom they probably shouldn't be there otherwise it destroys heaven for everybody now i want to give another example of this willful choosing to destroy happiness and the mistakes that we make right willful mistakes with some real world examples so i am fairly sensitive to hormones which means when i'm pregnant i'm not the most pleasant person to be married to (laughs) i get very irritable and difficult i snap a lot (laughs) it's just just how it is right (laughs) and i'm working on it so i shouldn't say that's how it is i'm working on it but i'm not very good at it and my husband is aware of this fact (laughs) that when my hormones are all over the place. I am all over the place. And because he is aware of this fact, and because I apologize as much as I can, even when I'm still angry, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be this way. This is, I can't, I'm feeling crazy right now. That uh, Even though I'm making these mistakes, right? I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be irritable and awful to be married to. <laughs> but even though I'm making these mistakes because there's this compassion and this understanding and this desire to be better and because Connor is aware of it and because he is willing to continually forgive me and have compassion for me the heavenly feeling in our marriage usually sticks around even when I'm not being very heavenly because it makes all the difference when You admit to your mistakes and you want to be better and you're trying. It makes all the difference in relationships and in the feeling in your home, right? And it's the same way with Connor. When Connor's going through a really difficult time and he's short-tempered and it's coming out on the family, I try really hard to be supportive or to give him space and to create space for him to detox from his day, whatever needs to happen. And it doesn't destroy the heavenly feeling in our family because we are considerate and compassionate towards each other. Not always. We're not perfect, right? But in general, there's a heaven, heavenly feeling in our home because there's a difference between mistakes and willfully trying to make things difficult, right? Now compare this to a marriage where one or both partners are entitled Where they're like, I don't care how bad your day was, I don't deserve to be treated like this, right? Or someone who feels like they can come in and stomp on everybody else's feelings because they're angry and they had a hard day, and everyone should just be more understanding of them, that they should be able to act however they want, right? There's a different spirit in that home, and it is not heavenly. Willful versus mistakes, right? The atonement is continually cleansing us so that we can be worthy of the celestial kingdom. And if we're not destroying that heavenly feeling there, we're going to be okay. We don't have to be afraid of our mistakes. It is those who are willfully choosing to make, willfully choosing wickedness so that it destroys those happy heavenly feelings. Mistakes are nothing to Jesus Christ. They're nothing to the atonement. Nothing but perhaps a good lesson, right? We don't have to fear our mistakes because of Jesus Christ and his atonement. Really, all we have to worry about is who we're becoming, right? Taking those mistakes and turning them into something good, not letting those mistakes destroy peace or destroy the heavenly feeling in our home, right? That's an amazing litmus test for whether we are prepared for the celestial kingdom is the feeling that you're bringing into your home, into your relationships, What feeling are you bringing, (laughs) even with all of your mistakes, what feeling are you bringing into the home? Because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we have time. We have all the time in the world to learn and master the rules of this universe game, right? Until we can fully enjoy the eternal life that our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ live. Because Christ chose to be perfect, to not make mistakes, to not break the law of Moses, because Christ chose to be perfect. He was able to perform the atonement so that it didn't matter when we were imperfect. And I think that's incredibly important to understand the difficulty of what he went through, always choosing this perfection, never failing to choose perfection so that he could perform the atonement for us. I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for who he is, innately loving and kind, focused outward all the time. I'm grateful for who he is and who he chooses to be so that I can receive something that I don't necessarily deserve, so that I can enjoy a heavenly feeling in my home and in the eternities because I believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ and because I'm trying I'm trying, (laughs) right? I'm grateful for my Savior Jesus Christ, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.